0: Congress continues to find a, or attempt to find a solution to the appropriations bills and to find a way to keep the government funded. Well, we'll get the latest on that. And it's Wednesday and time to check in on the topics and issues that farmers are thinking about, the challenges they face and the opportunities they see coming
1: in the year ahead. out from under the frozen thumb via Farm Journal broadcast, this is Agritalk. This morning we'll begin with a conversation with Brian Grady from Pro Farmer, then it's our Farmer Forum with panelists Jason Probst and Kevin Ross, and directly following the news, Margie Eckelcamp from The Scoop, I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now welcome the host of Agritalk, Chip Florry. All right, Davis,
0: hey, Wee-wee. thank you so much. Yeah, man. Yeah, here we are back again. And uh, it's already the middle of the week. Can you believe it?
1: Mm hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Amazing.
1: Some of us have already been slaving away for like a whole day this really? week. Really? Bro. Really? Yeah. yeah it definitely yeah. seems like the middle of the week to me. Like, oh.
0: Hi, <laughs> you know, you. I just did work yesterday.
1: And now here yeah, we are again.
0: I got you. Yep. Glad that I am back here <sighs> in too. the office, in the studio, and ready to go. Going to have a conversation, get caught up on some of the issues that that have been building. We'll have a conversation with Pro Farmer Editor uh, Brian Grady. Mm-hmm. I will tell you this, uh, Brian. Brian was nice enough to come on the show on rather short notice, mm-hmm. and the short notice is because uh, our our scheduled guest was uh, Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa. And Senator Grassley has has had to check into a hospital there in the D.C. area uh, mm. and is uh, receiving some some antibiotic treatments for for an infection. So okay. our okay. our best wishes uh, for a speedy recovery go out to Senator Grassley. Hopefully here, here. we can get him back on the show here very soon. Very it's soon. Creeping
1: crud's out there, bro. It's out there yeah. right now in full force.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then we got the the uh, uh, Farmer Forum coming your way, Kevin Ross. We haven't talked to Kevin forever. It's been a while. So Far too looking, long. Yep. Yeah, looking forward to getting caught up with Kevin and Jason Probst from Illinois. Uh, obviously looking forward to the conversation there. We'll dig a little bit into Prop 12 and and see if if uh, if that is having any impact on how Jason is conducting business on his hog operation.
2: Cool.
1: All right, buddy. Cool. Yeah. Let's get to the news. What do you got? Right on. Well, let's start with the National Weather Service outlook here: heavy mountain snows for the Northwest and the Rockies, ice storms for portions of the Pacific Northwest, bands of heavy lake-effect snow continue for the Great Lakes. Hello, South Bend. <laughs> a return to more typical winter temperatures for many Wednesday uh, after the brutal cold. Another Arctic blast yeah. is expected late this week, so we got a little reprieve for a day or two here. Boy. Another little blast. And then at least here in the KC area, we're looking to warm up again next week.
0: Next week is looking pretty doggone good. This weekend looks pretty doggone chilly. There's no question about that. (laughs) Uh, But, boy, I tell you, the the quick break is welcome. Yes. And uh, all the way up to 17 degrees today, 13 degrees tomorrow, but back in the deep freeze on Friday, Saturday, and into Sunday uh next week like you said is looking good we've even got rain in the forecast dude
1: yeah yeah we're gonna clear out all that snow all at one time yep i hope so yeah equity shares slumped across asia after chinese data revived concerns about china's economy the hang Seng headed for its worst loss since october 2022 the hong kong market has lost more than 10 percent since the beginning of the year meanwhile the bank of japan is expected to hold its negative interest rate next week in the wake of the New Year's Day's earthquake, European equities were lower as markets continued to second-guess previous bets on rate cuts by the European Central Bank and other key central banks. Chip Brent crude futures dropped below 78 bucks per barrel on Wednesday on U.S. dollar strength, and as traders reduced their expectations of a rate cut by the Federal Reserve in March, Fed Governor Christopher Waller suggested that the central bank might not cut interest rates as aggressively as the market had anticipated. Right.
0: right. Good. Good. We need to get that that thought process out there, I I believe, because uh, I I think it is going to be a a slow path to lower interest rates.
1: Well, Chip, Senate leadership is reportedly moving to establish two new funding deadlines on March 1st and March 8th with the goal of avoiding a partial government shutdown and giving appropriators still more time to write fiscal year 2024 funding bills that adhere to the top-line agreement reached by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Speaker Mike Johnson. Despite weather-related issues in the nation's capital, the schedule remains on track. Schedule remains on on track. I'm I'm using that term loosely, Chip. Thank you. On track.
0: Thank you. Um, This whole process is off track. And and uh, we need to we need to get it back on the rails and moving forward. There's the frustration over this is off the charts.
3: Yep. Yep.
1: Well, Chip, the Biden administration is set to announce today the redesignation of Iranian backed Houthi rebels in Yemen as specifically designated global terrorists. This decision comes in the wake of multiple attacks by the Houthis on commercial vessels in the Red Sea. The group has claimed these attacks. As a response to Israel's military actions in Gaza, and Chip, taking those Houthi rebels off of that designated global terrorist list was one of the Biden administration's first foreign yeah. policy moves. Now we've got them back on the terror list.
0: Yeah. We, we we probably never should have come off. I That's a decision way, 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 way above my pay grade, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here they are causing all kinds of problems for us in the shipping industry out uh, in the Red Sea. So, yes, sir. Yeah. Yep. All kinds of issues. Okay, thank you, Davis. Appreciate it. Let's bring you Margie Ecclecamp, editor of The Scoop. How are you, Margie?
4: Hey, Chip. Doing well this morning.
0: All right. Tell me about MKC, the Ag Retailer of the Year.
4: Yes, this is one of my favorite stories to report on every year, and it's the Agricultural Retailers Association Retailer of the Year. As their official publication, we get to do a pretty in-depth article of the best of the best that year. And this year, the award went to MKC, formerly known as Mid-Kansas Co-op. Now, they do serve about a 11,000 member owners in Kansas and the surrounding states. And really their business inspired me to look up the quote that I thought I could remember, but it's from Theodore Roosevelt. And he said, keep your eyes on the stars, but your feet on the ground. And I think that resonates so well for ag retailers as they work toward continuous improvement, but are directly tied to the field. Now, specifically for MKC, they have the motto of shared growth, shared success. And really where does that where does that springboard come from? How do they reach for that but keep their feet on the ground? And they really have four keys to their business and that's safety, courtesy, image, and innovation. And they wow. have metrics to tie back to the growth in each of those four areas. Now, I did a deep dive into their business, how they're partnering with farmers, how they're also encouraging their staff and employees to be advocates for agriculture, being involved in more than 20 state and national associations. And that's all available on thedailyscoop.com.
0: All right. Excellent. Yeah. This... Uh, it- it's almost like a, a a focus group or a you know a case study when you take a look at everything that they've got going in that Kansas region. It's really a phenomenal business. Margie, yep, quite it. inspirational, Chip. Thank Absolutely. you so much. Absolutely. You bet. That is Margie Elklecamp, editor of the Scoop. Okay, coming up next, we're gonna have a conversation with Brian Grady. Brian is the editor of Pro Farmer. We're going to stay away from the markets for the most part in this conversation. We'll talk to him about what's going on today at the bottom of the hour as well
1: lower crop prices and extreme weather can take a toll on your profits and peace of mind. Crop insurance is a powerful tool to not only protect your financial security, but give you confidence to market grain, invest in your operation, and provide for what matters most, your family. At Farmers Mutual Hail, we understand that. So we've created products that allow you to customize plans for up to 95% coverage. It's time to rethink your crop insurance and choose FMH, America's crop insurance company, to protect your livelihood. Visit connect.fmh.com today.
4: The Scoop podcast is where we talk about tight supply chains, emerging agronomic challenges, technology tools delivering ROI. I'm Margie Echelkamp, editor of the Scoop and host of the Scoop podcast. Join me as I interview leaders from across the ag retail sector. Farmers are working hard for every bushel and their trusted advisors are by their side. Find the Scoop podcast wherever you find podcasts. So you are up to date on everything ag retail.
3: There I was, driving along, when I saw the corn laying down in the field, goosenecked again.
0: Even though I tried everything, new traits, existing soil insecticides,
3: every corn grower knows the hassle of gooseneck corn. But now there's Nerisma Insecticide from BASF, a better, stronger in insecticide that controls corn
0: rootworm and below-ground pests. Stand up for your corn with Nerisma Insecticide. Ask your authorized BASF retailer about Nerisma.
5: There's danger out there. It lurks on highways and quiet neighborhood streets. It's more likely to kill you than a shark and more terrifying than the biggest snake. Distracted driving claims lives every day. Every notification, swipe, social post, video, or selfie while driving risks your life. So while you might think public speaking or the zombie apocalypse is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
1: The chickens have come home to roost. Find out whose fence they're perched on today on Agritalk.
0: Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm Chip Florek. Glad that you are with us on this Wednesday morning. Um, Let's have this conversation here with Brian Grady, editor of Pro Farmer Beach. It's good to talk with you again, buddy. How are you
6: doing? Oh, I'm fine, Chip. How about yourself?
0: Doing just fine, just fine. Um, We haven't had much of an opportunity to talk since we got the reports from USDA on Friday. And when I say the reports, I mean the quarterly grain stocks report, the winter wheat seedings report, the annual production summary, and the global or world supply and demand estimates. Uh, it's, it's, uh, It's quite a load of data that, that usda dumped on the market all at once have the markets accounted for everything in the reports or or are they still working on that
6: well i i think most of it has been accounted for uh let's be honest uh, there was some shock factors in there yeah. and then the one that like the kind of everybody lost their mind over was uh the corn yield the record corn yep. yield um and I'll, I'll be honest with you i I just don't quite understand the the amount of attention that that received. To be honest with you, because uh, mm-hmm. corn yields, corn yield, it's a it's a singular number. Um, you know, if USDA hadn't cut its uh, harvested acreage number by almost six hundred thousand acres, um, then it would be a much bigger deal. But uh, right. as it turned out, the the record corn yield turned into basically a rounding error uh in terms of total production of just 108 million bushels so right. and, and we offset that uh we offset 75 million bushels of that with uh increased use um right. so i mean it's you know we're talking minimal here and uh so that that just garnered way too much attention to be honest with you I, I, yeah I, well, whether it was a record yield, or wasn't a record yield. Doesn't really matter. It's the production that matters. That's what you right. have to get. Well, and it's a record of.
0: crop. It's a record yeah. crop. You've, even though they cut those acres out of the harvested acreage tally, uh, it's still a huge uh, harvested acreage number. And, and absolutely, when you, when you throw that one seventy-seven point three for a national average corn yield on top of it, you get a record production number. The on the usage that you mentioned. We got 50 million more going to corn for ethanol. I thought that was, that that was uh, at least showing us the trend on corn for biofuel use in the year ahead.
6: Yeah, I've been encouraged by uh, ethanol use here, and uh, you know, uh, feed and residual use went up 25 million bushels. So uh, yeah. we we still think the USDA is conservative with its estimate right now or uh, projection right now, and uh, so that that number has a uh, some room to move to the upside and then exports they left the exports unchanged and, and that's really the the number that the market pays the most attention to but we are just now getting into the time frame when it's the key export season for US corn uh, you know soybeans dominate the first quarter quarter and, and an extra month or so of the marketing year. And after that, it, it shifts to corn. And so from now until may one, we basically need to make hay on, on the corn yeah. export side of things. And that's what will tell the market. Are we cheap enough? Are we low enough in price? And is there a, a response around the globe, uh, by foreign end users?
0: Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think you're right. I, th- I think the national average corn yield caught everybody's attention. Number one, um, number 2 the winter wheat seedings total uh, on on seeded acres beach, i don't know if that's gotten enough attention yet
6: yeah and that was actually one of the uh, the only uh sets of bullish uh, numbers in in yeah. the uh report data and I, oftentimes the wheat gets overlooked anyway uh, yeah. corn let's be honest corn and soybeans uh, grab the bulk of the attention any month uh, in USDA's reports uh, but january in particular because there's just so much data that that's dumped at once and and uh, you know i came ahead of a, a extended holiday weekend and, and everything else and and i think that the the winter wheat seeding's coming in lower than anticipated uh, just kind of got glazed over so to speak yeah
0: yeah Um, and it wasn't just a a big drop in the SRW acres, the soft road winter, the, the cut came in HRW country too. Uh, What are they going to do with those acres? I, is it going to be sorghum feed grain in the year ahead?
6: Yeah, I I think that, I mean, that would be obviously the number one in in HRW country would uh, be sorghum. But, uh, I, I think as you look across the different regions, uh, some of the, the minor crops, uh, um, we'll probably pick up some acres and you, you have to talk about corn and soybeans. I mean, uh, now there's more available acres for those two as well. So, uh, we'll have to see cotton will, will come into play obviously in the South. And, and, uh, so, um, there's some uncertainty, I think, uh, moving forward as we go into the uh, spring planting season and, and there always is. Uh, And the great acreage debate that happens during the winter months and and those types of things. But uh, uh, I I think that the the winter wheat seeding is coming in lower than anticipated. Uh, Probably just adds a little bit more to that discussion this winter.
0: Okay. We are coming up on the time that we're going to be setting the spring price for crop insurance policies. We do that. It's the average of December corn futures closes in February and the average of November beans. Uh, where they close in February. That's coming right up. And South America is going to have a, a day-to-day influence on the way that we trade in February, isn't it?
6: Oh, absolutely. And and so what we're seeing now is that the, the Brazilian crop estimates continue to decline. And, and uh, uh, the bulk of those uh, on soybeans are in the low 150 million ton range. Some are moving into the upper 140 million ton range. Ah, uh, but there are some out there that are really low, uh, in the low 140s, yeah. and, and as low as 135 million tons, and so from that farmers uh, group. Yeah, the farmers group in Brazil. Right. So if that one um, comes to fruition, and that's the real number that we end up at. Yeah. Um, that's a game changer because that that increases export demand for U.S. soybeans and, and not just increases it, but increases it quite a bit. So, um, you know, those, those are well below where USDA's number is currently. Um, you know, just converting them into bushels instead of million tons, it, it would be roughly 514 million bushels to 808 million bushels uh, on some of those low-range uh, forecasts that are out there for Brazilian soybean production right now.
0: Yeah, what did you make of USDA's Brazilian corn crop estimate?
6: No, uh, much the same as on soybeans; they're just behind, and and we always know that uh, this shouldn't yeah, be a but surprise. This seems
0: way behind.
6: Yeah, they are, and and that will have a, a potential impact too on U.S. corn exports. So uh, that yep. uh, keep in mind, though, um, Brazil is still shipping their record crops from last year. Yeah. Um, yep. So. Yep that, that is covering, if, if we didn't have that, that those extra bushels from last year, both corn and soybeans, uh, it would be a a much greater market attention factor in my opinion right now, what's going on with their crop size down there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The old saying does, did Brazil really have a drought if it didn't turn into more demand for us soybeans? Right. Um, Right. Yeah. If it, if it doesn't, did the drought really matter? And, and, uh, that's probably the right perspective to have as as we go forward. Um switch gears, get away from the markets here for just a bit. Give me your latest take on what is happening in DC with the spending bills, the continuing resolution kicking the can further down the road. What <laughs> What you
6: well, of do you make Well, do you want my real opinion or do you yeah. want my yeah. uh okay. Yeah, it's just it's Washington. I mean, it's uh just more of the same, you know, dysfunction and and that's really the the what's going on. I mean, we just can't get out of our own way uh in Washington right now and and too much uh, you know, party versus party bipartisanship uh, um just or partisanship, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you know, just They need to find a way to work together and and we're so far from that right now, Um, but short term uh, they're trying to get a continuing resolution done to extend uh, from the the current uh, deadlines which are coming up uh, the first one at the end of this week. Uh, to the beginning of of March. And and so USDA would be included in the ones uh, that have a January 19th deadline. And and so uh, for agriculture, there is some uh, real concern there about a partial government shutdown.
0: Yeah. They're going to find a solution and keep the government open, aren't they?
6: Yeah, because that's what they do. They just kick the can down the road and they don't really get anything done. And and, uh, so that's really the nuts and bolts of of what's going on in Washington right now.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Less than a minute. I'm not going to make this hard on you. Okay. (laughs) Anything from the caucus night in Iowa surprise you?
6: No, nothing at all. Absolutely. Zero surprised me out of all that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, uh, was an overwhelming victory for, uh, former president Trump and, and, uh, kind of launches him into New Hampshire and, and, the What is it? I think it's March 5th is
6: Super yeah, Tuesday. You, yeah, you, you know, you can take all the rest of them and add them together, and they're not even to the level that he is. So, yeah. I mean, it's like him, hate him, whatever the case may be. Um, this is uh, Trump's race to lose, to be honest with you. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely.
6: All right, Brian,
0: I appreciate the shot of realism. Stick around. We got to find out exactly what is going on in the markets here today i'll need you for that here in just a minute uh coming up next we've got the farmer forum and we've got kevin ross from western iowa jason probst from southern illinois a couple of things happening there Uh, what's going on with the biofuels and is jason preparing for prop 12 we'll discuss that next
7: When you're planting, having the right scale system on your bulk fill planner or drill pays for itself. Use Point from Scaletech to verify proper seeding rates and make money-saving adjustments on the fly. Not to mention, monitor your seed supply with pinpoint accuracy. You could guess, but why? Instead of checking your hoppers manually, keep your tractor moving and let Point do the work. Save time and money with Point. Visit scaletech.com to learn more.
1: This is Andrew McRae, host of the American Countryside. I'm also a farmer and rancher from northwest Missouri, and I hope you'll join me each week for Farming the Countryside as we take a look at the top issues impacting agriculture as told by the people farming and working in their industry. We'll talk about markets and trade, share some of the latest tips and trends for grain and livestock producers, and take a look at trends impacting rural America. Join me for Farming the Countryside on many local radio stations or on your favorite podcast platform, or just go to farmingthecountryside.com
7: time for markets now with the experts from pro farmer
0: brian grady is back with us uh editor at pro farmer beij we've got corn and soybeans going in opposite directions here this morning what's happening
6: yeah so um corrective buying in both corn and the wheat markets and and okay. uh you know that's needed uh they've been beaten down here and and so just nothing more than than corrective trade two to four cents higher in, in corn and uh, uh the wheat market being led by srw contracts that are posting double-digit gains in the front end of that market, Uh, but uh, just just corrective. And then soybeans, uh, they're under uh, pretty uh, solid pressure here, double-digit losses in the uh, the March and May contract. So um, seeing heavier selling there. The meal market, uh, you know, it it tried to work to the upside yesterday and and, uh, has erased all that today.
0: All right, yeah. Crude, crude soybean oil is trading slightly higher, but uh, outside of that, there's not a lot of... Uh, Good news coming out of the soy complex. Should also mention that corn made new contract low before it turned around and started to move to the upside. Uh, Take us over to the livestock trade.
6: Pretty quiet in the cattle market Chip, uh, you know we're waiting, waiting on cash cattle trade to develop, uh, waiting on the cattle on feed report Friday afternoon and, and because of that uh, we probably won't see real active cash trade until late in, in the week and, and so um, just kind of really quiet and, and uh, trading to the downside but uh, just minor uh, losses at the moment, same with the feeder cattle. And then hog futures, uh, you know, we're seeing the futures narrow up their uh, premiums to the cash index, but the cash index is rising. I think it's like five of the past uh, six days now that that cash index has been up. And so it's looking more and more like a seasonal low is already in place there.
0: Thanks, Brian. That is Pro Farmer editor, Brian Grady on Markets Now.
5: Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public,
1: Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We've cleared the schedule for you. Give us a call at 855-482-5524 and join the conversation.
0: Yeah, this kind of represents the times that we're in right now, doesn't it? A little bit, yeah. A little bit. A little bit. There's a lot of people out there that might say, you know, that's a very good representation of what's happening in the Republican Party right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, with the, the – can I – I don't – I it's not a split caucus. It just felt like mm-hmm. it was a split caucus. It feels like it's a split primary going into New Hampshire and going into South Carolina. It's just one of the weirdest seasons that – no, it's the weirdest season I can recall right
1: mm-hmm. agree
0: i I, yeah. I would agree yeah yeah absolutely nuts absolutely nuts yep and weather too uh we we've been on quite the roller coaster with that let's get this farmer forum started kevin ross from western iowa joins us right now kevin it has been too long how are you
8: yeah i'm doing good Chip. How about yourself
0: doing just fine how are you handling the weather out your way in western iowa
8: I tell you what, it's been uh, it's been a slog here over the last few days with uh, just taking care of cattle and and uh, just trying to stay ahead of uh, gelled up tractors and everything else. But uh, I don't I don't I don't remember a time uh, in my lifetime anyway where we were this uh, this long below zero and uh, it was getting a little old. So I'm glad to see the sun shining again today and and uh, we've had uh, had had positive temperatures here all day long. So that's that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, eight degrees up in northeast Iowa, so it is a good thing. We're going to stay below zero at, you know, this week, or excuse me, below freezing uh, this week, and then we got another cold shot coming this week, and then things look good temperature-wise into next week. But did you see the rain in the forecast for next week too, Kevin? Those cattle are – it's not going to get any easier on the cattle if that happens.
8: Yeah, I'll I'll believe it when I see it when it comes to rain. I think uh, it seems like always this time of year when you get this much snow on the ground that those forecasts that tell you rain are a few degrees off because it just can't ever quite quite get that extra degree or two. So I don't know. I'm guessing it'll be more snow than rain, but uh, I'm also not a weatherman, so we'll find out.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. All right. Let's bring in Jason Probst from Southern Illinois. Jason, it's great to talk with you again. How are you?
3: Doing well, doing well.
0: Good, good, good. How about the weather yeah. down your way? Everything okay?
3: We're we're not as bad as you guys there in Iowa. Uh, didn't get the near as much snow, but uh, definitely got our fair share of cold. Uh, we're kind of yesterday was our first day back above freezing uh, since Friday, and so we've uh, you know maybe a couple inches of snow throughout, but a lot of cold wind, which led to. As Kevin talked about, you know, tractors and trucks gelling uh, with high winds, and actually led to some problems with some of our ethanol and soybean process, processing plants down here. So,
0: oh, explain that a little bit more. What do you got going on at the plants?
3: Well, so we ran into with that cold weather, especially on some of the uh, plants in Central Illinois, where there's just really no wind breaks um, over the weekends. Basically, the plants froze up and could not run. So uh, like one of the bean processing plants just finally got uh, thawed out, and was able to get back into production this morning. Uh, we'll probably have some bean meal available this afternoon coming out of the hatch. Uh, also had uh, ethanol plant in the same town, uh, froze up as well, the same process, uh, kind of shut them down. Uh, we've had another ethanol plant that uh, could not get their dryers running uh, there on Monday with the uh, cold weather. And so they've been producing strictly wet product out there and then just wow. with the cold it was just the the fermentation processes don't work as well so plants were running maybe at 50 to 60 percent of capacity they normally oh, would so seeing a little bit some challenges there so yeah
0: that'll slow things down for sure and kevin on the cattle processing side there were some plants that they basically skipped shifts and back some cattle up didn't they
8: yeah absolutely it's uh you get this cold you know and and just shipping of of animals uh, you know, going down the road. I mean, you're trying to keep as many trucks off the road as possible. So, you know, there's a, you just don't want want uh, animals or anything else getting stuck out there and, and uh, taking you know a little fewer chances with that. And uh, with that kind of cold, that it, it just it's not good for anybody.
0: Right. Yeah, that's the bottom line. That that is uh, exactly right. Um, Kevin, there's I, I keep getting emails and texts from people outside of Iowa that are wondering, you know, were you surprised by anything in the caucuses that on Monday uh, I keep replying, No, I, I didn't see anything that really surprised or shocked me. We just talked with Brian Grady. He didn't see anything. What about you? Did you see anything that, that gives you a clue about how things might work out later?
8: You know, I, I would have to agree with you. I don't think, uh, I don't think anybody should be too shocked by by the outcomes of uh of what you saw here in our state for the caucuses. Um the one thing that that I think should just should really stick out though is the amount uh the amount of support that President Trump had. Um that that number at at I don't know what it ended up at 51% or something right. like that. I mean that More that in general is just a huge huge number from yeah. from a caucus standpoint and uh and so I think, you know, of, of anything that's, uh, you know, is it a surprise? A little bit. On the other hand, you know, you talk to a lot of folks and there was a a lot of support, um, you know, out there for, uh, you know, for the former president. And um, so should it be that shocking? Maybe not. Um, on the other hand, you know, you, you when it comes to the uh, second and third uh, place candidates there with uh, Haley and DeSantis, I think, you know, uh, I don't think that was a, too much of a shock to anybody by where they uh, by where they landed. I talked to several friends of mine and I thought they would be within a couple points of each other at the end of it. Um, and they were, and, um, yep. uh, you know, just a, just a deep field in general. I think, uh, it's interesting to see how it narrowed, uh, towards the end there to yeah. those top three here in Iowa. Uh, because you, you know, the way it started out with so many different candidates as, as it usually does. Um, and, and that's part of the job of this process is to just, you know, kind of, uh, uh, pair them the the amount down and and wean people out, I guess, if you will. Um, and you know, and I think the Iowa caucuses did that job once again. And yep. and uh, I think we should be proud of the way our state engaged uh, um, on this uh, again. And and you look at uh, the amount of folks uh, I think that are out there. It kind of staggering the amount of dollars that are spent in in our state for it. But at the same time, uh, I think they're looking for statistically accurate numbers at the end of the deal. And and uh, when you look at the amount of voters and uh, the amount of Republican voters in this primary, uh, across the state, you know, um, yeah. uh, and the, and the amount of people that would vote later on, I think you get pretty close to, to the numbers that they would want to see. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. Jason, there was one thing that happened at the end of the caucuses that I'll admit did surprise me a little bit. And that was Ramaswamy stepping out of the race. I didn't think he'd want to give up his soapbox nearly as quickly as what he is, what he did. Um, but then you nope. turn around and you see how he starts working with Trump immediately, and he's not losing any soapbox. All he's doing is is taking a step to the right.
3: Yep. No, that was a little bit surprised to see that happen that uh, that early in the in the race where we're at. I figured we'd get further. Into the uh, primary season before we'd see uh, any more of the main, you know, top four candidates drop out at this point. So yeah. uh, the, definitely we're in a, a three-person race, it looks like to me, as we move forward. And, and probably by the time it he gets here to Illinois, it'll probably be decided as usual as we get here. So <laughs> Yeah like we're being being so late, late in the primary season.
0: Right, right. It feels like it's going to happen quick this year, doesn't it, Kevin? I mean, the, the, this, uh, the, the decision
8: yeah i think you're right i think um and it's felt that way all along really uh and i think that's part of the factor when you when you saw some of those early candidates dropping out um you know before even the caucuses happened that i think there was more um you know more of that that happened right away and part of that's a factor of money so you know if you're not collecting the money those those folks just can't afford to stay you know to stay on the road and, and in the state doing those things so um you know, again, it, it, did it do the job? I think so. And, and, uh, uh, yeah, I do think you're right, though, Chip. You get to, um, a couple more states down the road. And I think this, this field's going to be very narrow, if not down to one. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and we'll see how it shakes out. I, I agree with you on Vivek, though, too. That was kind of shocking to see him jump out, but, yeah, he didn't. He didn't lose the soapbox entirely either.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, if 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 the soapbox would have been going away, I don't. I think he'd still be in the race. So he had the conversation yep. with the Trump team. The Trump the Trump team said that they would find some way to keep his voice relevant in this whole conversation, and off he went. Not going to spend the money any on it any longer, and uh, yeah. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna stay active. Were you satisfied with how biofuels were treated through the process, Ke- Kevin?
8: Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association and you know, and Iowa Corn, Iowa Soybean, always do a really good job of uh, evaluating the candidates um, and giving them, you know, getting them their priorities uh, when it comes to biofuels. So I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, when when these candidates come to our state. Uh, and the amount of time that, uh, that, that the folks across rural America get to spend with them, it always, uh, is a highlight, uh, at least for, you know, 20 plus years now or 30 years now. And, and, um, I think it's amazing what, uh, what it does for the understanding of these candidates and how important it is to not only our state, but all across the Midwest and, and really, you know, really to the entirety of the nation when it comes to, uh, you know, energy security and all the other things that, that biofuels represent. So I, I always uh, think that's such a huge part of, um, you know, of our process, and, and our governor does a great job highlighting it as well as, you know, as well as the folks that invite them into the plants and and, uh, uh, and out on our own farms.
0: Yeah, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. All right, we are in the middle of this week's Farmer Forum. Kevin Ross from Western Iowa, Jason Probes from Southern Illinois. Uh, maybe just a little bit more conversation on biofuels and those CO2 pipelines before we move on to Prop 12. Jason, I want to get your take on how any sign of an influence of Prop 12 on the markets happening yet. We'll talk about that next on Agriculture. <music>
2: sometimes i just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here i can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day baby you're our legacy
5: planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe and it's the best way to protect that legacy
2: protect your legacy visit ready.gov forward slash plan for the tools and tips you need to start your emergency preparedness plan today brought to you by fema and the ad council
6: Scammers often try to dupe veterans to steal the VA benefits they've earned. Scammers may try to obtain sensitive information or collect payments over the phone, offer to move assets in order to qualify for pension, insist benefits may be sent directly to a friend or caregiver, or promise to manage benefits or file a claim for you. VA will never charge you for processing a claim, and only VA can determine eligibility. To report
1: suspicious activity, visit va.gov forward slash oig forward slash hotline. What is dedication? My biggest fear in the middle of my addiction was that my kids wouldn't have a father. And I started thinking, you know what? This isn't my story. I definitely had to become a better man to be a better father. It's important to me that my kids are empowered and truly believe that if if they
6: can think it, they can do it. That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
3: If you served, we want you to get the health care and benefits you earned. We want you to come to
2: VA. There's never been a better time to apply. Under a new law called the PACT Act, we've expanded VA care and benefits to millions of people who served and their survivors.
5: No matter where you served or how long you served, check out
1: va.gov slash pact to learn more about what VA can do for you and your family.
5: Come to VA.
7: Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net health insurance has never been so easy and affordable. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more,
2: give us a call at 800-801-2730. That's 800-801-2730.
5: Mom's early Alzheimer's diagnosis was hard to take. And when I left the oven on, we decided together that it was time to see a doctor and make a plan. Early detection gave us more time to seek out information and support as a family. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's.
4: Talk about seeing a doctor together. For more information, visit alz.org time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council.
5: Hey guys, it's me, Isabella Gomez, filling in for Smokey Bear, because he's got more to say than just...
3: Only you can prevent wildfires.
5: Like, if you're outside enjoying a barbecue, don't let a hamburger distract you from fire safety. Make sure you aren't dumping your hot coals or ashes onto the ground because that could start a wildfire. So, take wildfire prevention seriously and let's save the world one day at a time. Juntos con Smokey Bear, podemos hacerlo. Go to smokeybear.com to learn more about wildfire prevention. Brought to you by the US Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council.
2: Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Kelly Clarkson, and as the daughter of a school teacher, I know just how important education is. No matter how old you are or your situation, continuing to learn will enrich your life and help remove barriers you didn't even know were there. So much opportunity, y'all. Whether it's a foreign language, history, or a different way to look at things, take some time each day to learn something new. This message is courtesy of the United States Air Force.
1: In the morning, you're coffeed up and you're thinking. In the afternoon, you've calmed down, but you're still thinking. We're here all day. Agritalk.
0: And welcome back to Agritalk in the Farmer Forum. We're in the middle of it right now with Kevin Ross from Western Iowa and Jason Probst from Southern Illinois. When I think about carbon sequestration and i think about the carbon intensity scores on the ethanol plants it it's most often in iowa minnesota south dakota north dakota thought that goes through my head but jason there some of these co2 pipelines are proposed to go through illinois is it as controversial in illinois as it is in iowa
3: it is uh you know the pipelines you talked about coming out iowa they were positioned to come in and basically sequester all the uh, CO2 here in Illinois, and it led to a lot of uproar uh, between everybody. And eventually, those uh, petitions got pulled um, by the proposed pipelines. And so right now, it doesn't look like there's anything coming at the moment. Okay. But that could change again. Uh, there's you know a lot of people just didn't feel like they wanted to be the dumping ground uh, for that material, and then just the fact of another pipeline coming across the ground that didn't, didn't, uh, you know, presume to help them in that respect. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Kevin, what's the, what's the status of the proposals in Iowa? Is it something that you think has got a chance to go forward? Should it go forward? What's, what's your thoughts?
8: Yeah, I think everything's, you know, uh, on hold at the moment. Um, uh, you know, should it is a good question, Chip. I mean, I, I guess, uh, there's there's obviously arguments to both sides of the story but i would tell you that um at the end of the day uh you know i really like uh, finding useful uh you know useful products and there's many useful products for co2 out there mm-hmm. um and so you know putting it into the ground sometimes is uh is kind of a backward stop process for for sequestering the carbon it seems like uh, from time to time on the other hand what we're doing with these pipelines, though, is you're also aggregating the product, and I think that uh, you know at the end of the day, that's that's really you know to me a, a different part of the opportunity that people have kind of glossed over. And and uh, and when you do that, when you aggregate product into you know uh, a much larger volume in one area, you're more likely to you know to end up having I think that you know production for uh, you know a different type of uh, of product at the end, and and so. Okay. Um, you know, I think the, the argument that could be made or that people make about safety of the pipelines, really, that's not one that I think holds a whole lot of water. Um, I think the, uh, uh certainly the, the, uh, you know, thoughts about, eminent uh, domain and those types of things. Um, mm-hmm. obviously people get concerned and get, uh, uh get upset when they, you know, want to be told something, um, that they need to do with their land. Uh, and yeah. so I think that, uh, you know, the approach of, of some of these is, is, uh, Uh, been a little bit tough but at the same time if we take a step back we learn from what uh, you know what they've done um, and you look at the opportunities for uh, CO2 and and sequestering the carbon you know it's a big opportunity for you know for continuing the success of the ethanol industry and and that's uh, something again vital to our state and uh, vital to the midwest and so you look at uh, the current opportunities for sustainable aviation fuel and how that works within ethanol or, uh, or biodiesel um, you got to lower that CI score. And, uh, this is what, uh, the, the current metric, you know, will tell you, yep. um, how you do it. And so unless you change that measurement and how we, you know, how we measure CI and, and what we're measuring for that stuff, uh, this is the current way to get it done.
0: Okay. All right. Thanks for Chip, I think th- th- you know, that Kevin. Yeah. It Chip,
3: the same. I was going to say, I think Kevin's concerned about, you know, just sequestering the carbon in the ground and losing opportunities for it. I think that was probably a bigger challenge some of the people here in Illinois that we saw is just, you know, the opportunities that could be used for that product. I know from the pork processing side, CO2 is used in the stunning process animals. And that was a big concern that we had back during the COVID aspects when the plants weren't running, making ethanol, we were running short on CO2 to be able to process pigs in that process. So that was a concern to us. If we start sequestering this instead of having available for different products, you know, what does that do to us long-term in our, efficiencies that we have in our process exactly
0: exactly yep legitimate concerns no doubt Gavin. it's or uh jason it's it's all lots of different angles to look at this whole process as there is lots of different angles on prop 12 have you seen any influence of prop 12 on your markets
3: in the short term here, the start of the year, no. Um, I'm going to say it's because of the backup of pigs that we have right now after the yeah. cold weather. Obviously, this week, now, uh, the first two weeks, we're probably now backed up about a million, million point one head of hogs right now. So, you know, none of that is going to come into play at this point. Um, you know, we were hearing a little bit prior to the start of the year from uh, a couple analysts out there that hadn't released any data we looked at, but they were seeing the back off of consumption of pork in California yep. as prices were starting to rise and really didn't feel good about where this is going. Um, you know, that standpoint, I know, you know, there's been trying to figure out how do you correct it and different things, whether uh, from a legal standpoint, uh, I think, you know, where it's ultimately going to come down to is probably something with a farm bill. I don't see that we can get something yeah. done in the standalone where we're at with getting people uh, rallied behind it, but I think it's got to be something that's got to be added on at that point. And we're kind of at that mercy when the farm bill comes and the, yeah. you know, is going to take some time, but probably through that, that's going to allow people to see the true impact of prop 12 and its effect on California. So I think, you know, that may actually help, uh, push the, that solution across the line yeah. with seeing some yeah. of that uh, pain and suffering that it'll cause.
0: Yeah, the impact on California is just as important as the impact on um on hog producers in Iowa. Both are going to be measured at some point and both are going to have an impact and influence on how things are going forward. It just does it, NPPC continues to look for a solution or a fix on this, but a stand like you said yep. Jason, a standalone does just it doesn't feel like it's going to happen, does it?
3: No, just doesn't feel there's enough support and traction at this time.
0: Yeah, that's a big concern, big concern. All right, you guys, great job today talking about some tough issues. Really appreciate the uh, the perspective you shared with us, Kevin and Jason. Appreciate that a lot. Kevin, be good. Stay warm out there.
8: I'll do my best.
3: We'll wait for the next snowstorm.
0: All right, that's Kevin Ross over in western Iowa. Jason, same to you. Stay warm, man.
3: All right. You as well. Take care. All
0: right. That is Jason Probes down in Effingham, Illinois, down in Southern Illinois. Thank you so much for listening this morning. you got to come back this afternoon. We're going to have a conversation with Craig Turner from Stone X Group and Turner Steak. And tomorrow morning, Frank Lucas from Oklahoma.
5: Retirement can be scary, but only if you're not prepared. The Scoop Podcast is where we talk about tight supply chains, emerging
4: agronomic challenges, technology tools delivering ROI. I'm Margie Echelkamp, editor of The Scoop and host of The Scoop Podcast. Join me as I interview leaders from across the ag retail sector. Farmers are working hard for every bushel and their trusted advisors are by their side. Find The Scoop Podcast wherever you find podcasts so you are up to date on everything ag retail.